Pune, today a high-tech city and a bustling metropolis, is associated with its Peshwai past. But few realize that the traffic-clogged lanes of this busy city hide a far more ancient and a fascinating past. Uday Kulkarni, a Pune-based historian and author of best-selling books Solicitous at Panipat and the Era of Bajirao, takes us through the early history of the Pune region. Actually, there may be, there are no concrete references, but it is said that Pune may have been in existence almost from the first century of the common era. But the earliest structure of Pune which stands today is probably the Pataleshwar Caves, which were built around the 8th century and the Rashtrakuta period. And that was a temple to Pataleshwar, Ishwar of the Netherlands, of the netherworld. And those, of course, you can still see that place. Of course, over a period of time, wear and tear has taken its toll and there were two lions at the entrance, you are completely worn off, you can't see a trace of them and so on. But those are the earliest recorded places of Pune which still stand. It would be in the Drashtrakuta period, probably the 8th century and it would be probably co-temporous with the time the Elora Caves were built. And because the Rashtrakutas had spread out in the entire area, even the Rashtrakutas are supposed to have built the or excavated the Elora Caves. And then you find that 90% of the caves in India are located in this western Maharashtra and the Kokan Strip rather than the rest of the country. So probably the basalt rock here also helped to make those caves, excavate those caves. That could have been a factor. The Pataleshwar caves were probably excavated from a single rock. There's a, uh, a circular kind of a pavilion, which is the Nandi pavilion, which has got pillars all around it and the central Nandi. And then there's a place around it which is completely excavated. It's probably below the level on which you walk in. So it's slightly below the ground level. And uh, in front of the Nandi, the entire rock has been excavated like a front assembly on three sides, on four sides actually, with a temple in the center, which got the shivling. And parts of it have been left incomplete in one corner, probably because either by that time they had finished or they had moved away from there or because they found the rock to be not of good quality to excavate. But in one corner of the caves, you'll find that, that those kind of pillars were never completed. But as far as intricate carving inside, you won't find, like you find in the Elora, you won't find inside Patalaj. They are plain pillars, more or less. There were a few uh, panels on the side walls, which are uh, kind of slightly faded now. But you can make out that there was some kind of uh, bas relief kind of uh, uh, sculptures which were made on the side walls. But uh, some of them you can identify, some of them you can't. But they are probably related to some mythological events of the past. Actually, if you go back to the earliest mentions of Pune, you'll find that it was on the trading routes between the coast and the Rashtrakutas and Chalukyas, the kingdoms that are here. And it was probably a town which was between two important places. One was Junnar and the second was Saswad, which are both about 30 kilometers in either, either uh, direction. And Pune was probably a small place where they halted on the way because there were two rivers. There were a few temples here because there's a Sangam, you know, the confluence of the Mula and the Mutha rivers, which gave it some kind of religious sanctity, though it never became a big religious centre by itself. And uh, there were two temples here, one was the Puneshwar and the uh, Narayaneshwar temples. And around the end of the 14th century, there were some uh, Sufi saints who came down here, uh, around the time when Allahuddin Khilji was spreading into the Deccan. And they uh, went into those temples, they performed some miracles, and the uh, priest along with the temple converted into dargas, which are available for you to see even today. And they are right opposite the Shadwarwad on either side of it. They are called the Thorla Sheikh Salla and the Dhakta Sheikh Salla. So they are probably the oldest structures which are in Pune. 
and you still see the yadava pillars in those dargahs that were there in fact recently there was a wall collapse below those which some old idols etc also came out so that is where it started then one of the generals or a commandant of alauddin khilji came down here and he built a fort which is called the buria arab he was a commandant and he made a wall around it which is which later on grew into the kasba pet of pune which today in fact it was three villages within that wall which eventually merged to form one and the earlier names of pune were uh, punavadi or punya vishaya vishaya is a is a province a governing unit kind of a thing and that, that was surrounded by a wall which called a juna court or the old court around it and that is where today's kasba pet is located and this court remained in place for a fairly long time and uh, it it was the nizam shahi adil shahi mughal this territory lay on the boundary of these three very powerful powers because ahmednagar is to the north and adil shahi was to the south of pune and the mughals were trying to encroach onto ahmednagar and around that time pune was the zone where everybody had their battles it was also the part the jagir given to shahji raje and therefore he was on the border of these two territories too while he was uh, fighting on the side of the nizam shah of ahmednagar the bijapur adil shahi kingdom one particular named person called murar jagdev around 1630 came here and he completely destroyed the city of pune one of the bakhars of those days mentioned that not only did he destroy it completely but there was a court called the pandri because of the white colored court on the wall around the city he completely leveled that court though you can see a few pieces still remaining in some parts and uh, those days the tradition was that if you don't want that place to be inhabited again that place was kind of uh, plowed with a donkey and they put a iron uh, kind of a we call marathi we call it a pahar or a rod which is put in the ground and sometimes a broken pair of footwear was tied to it to show that nobody should make any kind of efforts to make a habitation here again so that was done in 1630 or so and for the next years this was really a place which was completely overrun by trees jungles jackals and that kind of thing about 1630 uh, shahji was still trying to make the best of the nizam shahi kingdom that existed and uh, at that time because of the war going on with the moguls on the one hand adil shahi on the other hand and already uh, he had a very small kingdom the nizam shah was just a small child at around that time he left his wife on the uh, fort of shivneri Uh, because she was uh, uh, going to have a baby and that is where uh, shivaji raje was born and uh, then murar jagdev came and destroyed the whole city of pune but uh, shahaji raje continued his battle for a few more years with the moguls and the adil shahi till finally the moguls captured uh, this territory and uh, nizam shahi was extinguished around 1636 and that was the time when he switched his allegiance to the adil shahi power in bijapur and uh, though his jagir remained in pune he was given a separate jagir in bangalore in 1639 or so because 1638 or so bangalore was captured by the bijapur uh, sultanate and 1639 it was handed over to uh, shahji as his jagir so at that time in shivneri uh, shivaji raje with his mother jizabai were at shivneri and uh, and around this time 1636 or so he decided that this jagir in pune should be redeveloped and that is when one of his very loyal administrators dadaji kondev he said you he was also the killedar of the fort of kondana which is now called as simhagad so he had that dual responsibility and he was placed in the administrator in pune 
and right from repopulating the city to things like he gave uh, people prizes for getting rid of the jackals which had infested this entire territory he re reintroduced farming gave incentives for farming and so on at that time he shifted uh, shivaji and his mother uh, from shivner to a place just beyond the katraj ghat on the bangalore road called khed shivapur in fact the name shivapur is named after shivaji and then he made lot of mango plantations there he built a small house for them to stay there and so on and so forth but he also built a second house in pune which is very close to the kasba pit which is called the lal mahal and that is where there were uh, basically is very close to the kasba ganpati which is where it is today and that lal mahal was was where uh, jizabai and the young shivaji came to stay and that is when the small uh, temple of kasba which was there at that time kasba ganpati it was called moreshwar in those days the papers which call it moreshwar at that time which is another name for ganpati and she saw that temple and she found that people have got a lot of faith in that temple so she decided that she will build that temple and make it nice gave it grants and so on and that is where how the kasba ganpati became uh, as it is called is the is the city's deity the first deity of the city so that is why kasba ganpati is still considered important as it is the first deity of the city the second being the devi jogeshwari they call it tambadi jogeshwari or the red jogeshwari which also very close by so these temples all came up around that time and they came into importance actually when shivaji raja came to pune this was his ancestral jagir that is the place where he was going to establish his future kingdom and he had he collected his own friends and so on he used to go and uh, go around roaming all over the hills and mountains find out the pathways through the hills and so on and so forth and uh, along with that he was having his education which would later on serve to for his royal duties or his kshatriya duties so on and so before which our teachers were appointed to teach him all these things so uh, when he came here he was probably 6 years old and he lived here till he was 10 years old when he was 10 around 1640 or so already shahji raje had been to bangalore and he had got his jagir there at that time and that was the time he called shivaji and his mother to bangalore to stay there with him and uh, he stayed there for the next 2 years and 1642 they came back here and started looking after their jagir now dadaji kondev looked after shahji raja's interests and he made sure that nothing is done by his son here which would antagonize the bijapur rulers but uh, his he died in 1647 and just around that time the he was around 16 or 17 years of age at that time shivaji and that is the time when he captured his first fort from the adil shahi kiledar which was the fort of torna and uh, which he renamed as prachandagarh though it is still called known as torna and he built another fort next door called the called rajgarh which became his capital for a fairly long period after that so these were his, and then he captured purandar also so these three forts were the foundation of his swarajya so called though he didn't label it as swarajya at that time and uh, gradually the bijapur kingdom were alarmed that what is going on here is uh, not very good for us and around 1648 they told they gave an ultimatum to his father that you must stop these activities of your son and uh, when that didn't happen for a short period shahji raj was imprisoned and his jagir was taken away by bijapur which prompted shivaji to quickly return the forts to the adil shahi and then be quiet for some period of time and it was only in 1656 actually when you find that uh, with the death of mohammad adil shah of bijapur that is the time when shivaji raje makes his first big move and he actually for the first time in the 26th year of his life he goes outside his jagir which is practically pune district as we know it today because 
the chagi earlier extended north of the bhima in the territory of kheed and chakan also but when the mughals and the adil shahi came to a treaty the bhima became the border of the adil shahi and the mughal empire so he had his territory only south of the bhima which was practically today's pune district and that was the first time in uh, when he was 26 years of age that he moved out of pune and he captured the territory called as jawli now jawli was ruled by a family called mores and they had a hereditary title called chandra rao by the adil shahi so uh, it was necessary for him to take that area because uh, the mores being hereditary royalty for 400 years they would not look at this upstart and try to serve him they looked upon him as an upstart and therefore it was necessary to get rid of that if he had to expand in any way so towards the south he sent his people he got rid of the mores took their cap uh, jawli territory which was a huge territory which extended right up to the kokan and in 1656 suddenly you find the shivaji's uh, territories uh, reached it found a coast on the western coast they reached the western coast i mean right up to kalyan that's where his uh, territories reached so that was the first move and that happened because bijapur became weak after the death of mohammad adil shah there was a infighting within his court and uh, there was nobody who was really in charge and he took advantage of it to expand his kingdom and uh, that is when his real expansion began many localities in pune extend back right up to the 16th century like for example kasba pet as i already mentioned was there from the very beginning but there are few pets which came up around that time uh, in the 17th century i would say the first of these was probably budhwar pet which was that time called muhiyabad aurangzeb he named it after his son and he called it muhiyabad and then there were some areas around lal mahal which also came up around that time and the names of these pets kept changing in the peshwai they became named after they were named after the names of the days of the week but till then they had different names so depending on the area you are dealing with the name was different for a short period of time and then it was changed back to uh, these ravivar somvar mangalvar kind of names so the, that growth was organic and after the first demolition by murar jagdev the city kept growing and travelers kept coming here though junnar and saswad remained very important places because there was a river here and uh, it became a center which gradually grew in importance through the entire 17th century simhagad fort probably extends back to the 13th or the 14th century because the earliest reference of uh, simhagad you find is that it was actually manned by the kolis or the fishermen and then subsequently there is also a report of mohammed bin tughlaq when he came to the deccan he sent his army to capture simhagad and do the siege for several months to capture that fort so it's dates back to a considerable period it was called kondana at that time and uh, the name simhagad probably came in the 17th century and though the popular belief is that the name came because it was captured by tanaji and shivaji said i have lost a lion and i have gained a, have, that's why i named the fort simhagad that is not quite true because 3 years before tanaji captured that fort or 7 years before tanaji captured that fort there is a letter which mentions that this fort is called simhagad so at some point in time the name changed to simhagad but the popular as as it happens when you read a fictional book somebody wrote a book called gad alapan simhagela and that was a complete novel which kind of gave the feeling that it's happened because of tanaji's capture of simhagad which is not the case though pune was the place of residence for shivaji it was a completely undefended unprotected town like ahmednagar was a walled city or buranpur was a walled city or aurangabad became a walled city later on bijapur had a walled city pune never had walls the original walls were destroyed and new ones were never built so and being in the plains it was not defensible 
The second thing was at that time the Maratha power was such that they, it was difficult to occupy the plains for a sustained period. So it was much better to stay on the fort and threaten the powers that occupy the plains. So this is always a uh, policy of denial. You deny the op opponent the territory and when you become stronger, you start occupying it. So that's the difference between the 17th and the 18th century. The 17th century, the forts were very important because the powers didn't have the capability to hold the plains. When the enemy came, he could walk right up into the plains and they had to hand over their territory and retreat to the forts from where they make sporadic attacks on the enemy and kept him under a kind of a threatened situation. So it made sense to have your capital on a fort. Until 1674, the official capital was the fort of Rajgad. But soon Shivaji found that Rajgad was not in sufficiently deep in the Maratha territory. And because when Mirza Raja Jai Singh came with a big army down here, he found that Rajgad was no longer safe. And he started, he scout, started scouting for another location for his capital. And that is when he found the fort of Rairi, which is in the Kokan, which is surrounded by a valley on all four sides. And it stands like, like they call it the Rock of Gibraltar practically. It's as difficult to capture as that. That is when he decided to shift to Raigad. And around 1670, the shift began. And finally, his coronation was in Raigad. And from 1674, the Maratha capital was Raigad. It was the fort of Raigad which became the seat of the Maratha kingdom. And it was here that the Maratha chieftain, Shivaji Rajay Bhosle, declared himself Chhatrapati in the year 1674. After the demise of Chhatrapati Shivaji in the year 1680, he was succeeded by his eldest son, Chhatrapati Sambhaji Rajay. However, the dark clouds of the war began to hover over the Maratha kingdom. After 1680, in 1681, one of Aurangzeb's sons, his name was Akbar, he rebelled against his father. And uh, when he rebelled and he lost the battle, the Rajput, uh, Rajputs of Jodhpur were defending him. And Durga Das, who was the famous Rajput uh, warrior of, Jara, of the Rathods, he advised him that the only place you'll be safe is if you go south and you take shelter with Sambhaji Raji. He's the only person who can protect you. So Akbar came down to the Deccan and following him was the Mughal army led by Aurangzeb. So one year after Chhatrapati Shivaji's death, you find the entire Mughal army descending on the Deccan. And uh, he had three targets. One was the... Bijapur kingdom, one was the Qutub Shai and third was the Marathas. And for the next 26 years of his life, Aurangzeb stayed in the Deccan and he, though he exterminated Bijapur and Qutub Shai and that completely absorbed them in the Mughal Empire, he couldn't quite subdue the Marathas. After the death of Emperor Aurangzeb in 1707, Chhatrapati Shivaji's grandson Shahu returned to the Deccan from Delhi where he was held captive. This triggered a war for the control of the Maratha throne. Shahu was pitted against his aunt Tarabai. Maratha loyalties were divided and the turning point came when the powerful Kanoji Angre decided to support Shahu. The man behind this was Balaji Vishwanath who would go on to herald a new phase in Maratha history. So you find in 1713 in November they have a treaty with Kanoji Angre and you find that uh, Kanoji Angre accepts the uh, overlordship of Shahu. From there, for the next seven years, Balaji Ishwanath is the Peshwa. And uh, he goes through many vicissitudes during that time. A lot of uh, threats are there. A lot of rebellions also which take place. In one point of time, even the Peshwa is imprisoned by one of the rebels. And then Shahu has to send an army to rescue him. And so on and so forth. Till one day, 
a Mughal viceroy who has come to the Deccan. His name is one of the Sayyid brothers, Hussain Ali. He is threatened by the emperor himself and he finds that unless I take the help of the Marathas, I will not be able to survive because the Mughal emperor himself is against me. Next thing you find is Hussain Ali is seeking help from Shahu. And in 1719, it is decided that the Marathas will help Hussain Ali to go to Delhi and take power from the emperor, put a new emperor in his place and uh, actually run the affairs of the Mughal Empire from behind the throne. So, but the Marathas wanted some promises because even one of Shivaji's wives and so many others were still in Mughal captivity in Delhi. Only Shahu had been released. So, they wanted to get those people out. And they wanted the right to collect the taxes, the Tsauth, the Sardeshmukhi of the six Subhas of the Deccan. So at that time, Balaji Vishwanath Peshwa, who was now that time almost 58 or 59 years of age, along with the Senapati, who was Khandera of Abhade, and an army of about 30,000 Maratha troops, they accompanied Hussain Ali, they left the Deccan, they marched to the city of Delhi. It is said that to give the Badshah, Faruksiyar, an excuse, for coming with so many Marathas. It was said that one of the sons of Aurangzeb is with the Marathas in their custody and they want to hand him over to the emperor. The reason they, the emperor was very keen to have these, this, this prince was because he would be a threat to his own power. So they kind of, it was, a, it was a complete imposter, not a real king at all, but they decked him up with a special tent and a special caprescent elephant and so on and so forth. And it was pretended that a son of Aurangzeb is being led to Delhi by the entire Maratha force. And they will hand over this prince to the emperor only when they get the family of Sambhaji and the wife of Shivaji and so on back. So immediately the uh, army reached Delhi and Hussain Ali went to meet the emperor in the red fort. The first thing the emperor asked him, where is the son of Aurangzeb? So he said, he will be given to you, but first you have to hand over the family and you have to accept that the south of the six uh, Subhas will be given. Farooq Siyar was not very forthcoming on these uh, agreements and the next two days there was a lot of turmoil in Delhi and next thing you know is that Farooq Siyar is blinded and he is put in prison and two days later he is strangled to death and a puppet prince is put in his place. That puppet prince, there were two of them in fact, Rafiud Darjat and Rafiud Dawla who lasted for four months each and it was in their hands that the Sanads or the orders for the six Subhas of the Deccan were finally given to Balaji Vishwanath the family of Sambhaji, the family of, uh, in fact, Shahu's own mother were all handed over to the Marathas and they came back to the Deccan with all these Sanads and uh, the right to collect taxes and the recognition, official recognition for their kingdom. One year later, Balaji Vishwanath died and Shahu was so grateful to this man for not only saving him from all the uh, rebellions that he faced and for bringing his mother back from Delhi and so on that he could think of nothing else but to hand over the uh, office of Peshwa to his son, Bajirao. Now, Bajirao was just a 19-year-old youth that time. But Bajirao fought his first battle when he was just 11 years old. And he had been accompanying his father throughout on all his campaigns. So, it is not that he was inexperienced. He had been to Delhi also along with his father. So, that is how Bajirao came to the Peshwa's post in 1720, when, at the age of just 19 or 20 years of age. Till then, Bajirao was staying at Saswad in the uh, Vardas of the Purandaris and he used to come to Pune very often. So he realized that it will help if I can settle down in Pune and make that the base of the Peshwa. So around 1726, one finds that Pune was given as a Jagir by Chhatrapati Shahu to the Peshwas and then Bajirao decided that he is now going to 
shift to Pune and built his house there. And he gave, he destroyed that Juna court, that old court which was there in Kasbapet, and he gave that land to all his chiefs, like the Purandares and so on, to build their own wadas or their own houses there. And he laid the foundation of the Shanwar Wada. The arrival of Peshwa Bajirao in Pune heralded a new chapter in the history of the region. Under the Peshwas, the city would become the capital of a mighty empire that stretched from Haryana in the north to Tanjore in the south. 